Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Lucky Land Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kids' PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Hello and welcome to another edition of the Forza Napoli Calcio Podcast. Podcast devoted to Napoli, of course, but you don't have to be a Napoli fan to enjoy it. If you're a Serie A fan, if you're a football fan, looking for the inside scoop on all things Napoli, this is the place to be. I'm your host, Joe Fischetti. Thank you so much for listening. This is our first episode of the week. We took an episode off to recharge because between now and the Christmas break, there will be 70 Serie A matches and 21 Champions League and Europa League matches and I'm hoping to watch every single one of them. Having skipped an episode, we actually have quite a bit of content for you. In part one, we'll cover the latest news around Napoli and Serie A. We'll also recap Napoli Femenile's match against San Marino on the weekend. In part two, I'll give you the latest on our players that were on international duty. And in part three, we'll preview the big match on Sunday against Milan. So let's start with Napoli news. One of the big stories this week was Chucky Lozano's interview with Mexican Network, TV Azteca Deportes, where when asked about his future, he said, Since I was at PSV, I wanted to measure myself against a more important league. Italian football is difficult, but I like it. For the future, you can't know what will happen. There are many clubs in which I would like to play. To name one, Barcelona. A lot of people took offense to this comment, suggesting that Lozano is already looking to life beyond Napoli, when his focus should be on the present. I personally thought it was an innocent comment that was blown way out of proportion. I think there are many players that aspire to play for a club like Barcelona because they are one of the biggest clubs in the world. Like it or not, Napoli are not one of the biggest clubs in the world. We do not have a history of winning the Champions League. Yes, we have a UEFA Cup, but that's the equivalent of winning the Europa League. We do not consistently win the Scudetto. Yes, we've won it twice and we've finished as runners-up a lot in the last decade or so, but we're only competitive in one of those seasons. 
That doesn't change how much we love this club and it never will, but it's unrealistic to expect every player to be Lorenzo Insigne who's basically spent his entire career with us. It's also not realistic to expect every player to be Idris Mertens who fell so in love with this city that he learned our dialect and probably took a lower salary just so he could retire with us. Most professional players are extremely competitive and want to win trophies. Hopefully one day we get to that point, or I suppose you can say get back to that point when you think of the Maradona era, but right now we are not there. That is not our approach either. When you think of European clubs that do consistently compete for trophies, especially in Europe, they want to win at all costs. That's a very risky approach because often these clubs spend so much money that if they don't go deep into the Champions League, then they probably lose money. Now, that's another thing that bothers me. A lot of fans like to ignore the financial side of things. When you boil it down, football and sports in general is just two things. It's entertainment and it's business. For fans, it's entertainment and for clubs, it's a business. And without either of those, fans or money, the system doesn't work. So sure, we could go out and buy every player regardless of cost for a chance to win something, but guess what? The club won't last very long, especially if we don't win. At the very least, we won't be in European competition because of financial fair play. Unfortunately, that means a financially sound club is less likely to win trophies. It's not impossible, it's not even unreasonable to think we can, which is why we remain fans, because we have hope, but if you're a player who dreams of winning Champions League, you're probably dreaming about playing for Real Madrid or Barcelona or Bayern Munich and so on, not to mention if you aspire to make a lot of money. So to me, it's not a shock that Lozano has always wanted to play at Barcelona. The last thing I'll say is the fact that Lozano admitted he dreams of playing for Barcelona one day does not mean that he's looking past Napoli or that he's not focused on the present. And guess what? The best way for him to get to Barcelona is to play his best football at Napoli. Yes, it's great to have players that love the city and that want to play for us only, but there's nothing in a player's contract that forces them to. And in Lozano's case, he didn't exactly have a great time in his first season with us. And I bet a lot of the people who are criticizing Lozano for making these comments are the same fans who turned on Lozano when he wasn't having a good season last year. Sure, we paid a record fee for him and expectations should be high, but don't tell me that this guy should be infatuated with this city or this club after everything he went through last season. In that same interview, Lozano talked about how tough last season was. He said he asked his wife many times, what are we doing here? But thanks to her and to God, they overcame the difficulties. Now, I don't mean to suggest that Lozano doesn't like playing for this club or in this city. I think once he and Gattuso got on the same page, things turned around, which is what we've seen this season. Lozano said talking to Gattuso has changed a lot and that last year he learned a lot from his teammates to the point where today he feels like a much more complete and mature player. He added that Gattuso is very direct he has his own way of being, and when he gets angry, he becomes a monster, but without a doubt, he's a good person. He also added that after last season, he thinks he understands how to relate to Gattuso and that he needs to learn as much as possible from him. So those are my thoughts on Lozano's comments. In other news, on Wednesday, the region of Abruzzo announced that it had reached an agreement with Napoli to host the next five summer retreats. The region approved a budget change to accommodate this agreement, whereby the region will pay 1.2 million euros for each of the next five summers to Napoli. In exchange, the club will have its retreat at Castel di Sangro. The region will also get 80 match tickets and four signed balls. As is often the case, the announcement was not well received by local politicians. Apparently, the funds allocated for this agreement were taken out of the budget to support local businesses. The leader of the Democratic Party in Abruzzo, Silvio Paolucci, said... They used the argument of urgency to legitimize a convention worth 14 million euros. It is valid not only for the next four years, but for the next 11. 
The Five Star Movement political party sent the agreement to the National Anti-Corruption Authority and to the Prosecutor's Office of L'Aquila. Sara Marcozzi, who's a regional counselor in Abruzzo, criticized the agreement as well, saying in the middle of the COVID emergency with hospitals collapsing, it is incredible that the region is thinking of Napoli, stealing that money from those who needed it. The governor of Abruzzo, Marco Marsilio, defended the agreement, saying it would provide a much-needed boost for local tourism and that the funds became available from the repayment of loans from 2007 to 2013. Finally, we started providing transfer updates last episode. One of the players we spoke about was Arkadiusz Milik, who is quickly being linked to a number of clubs. Milik has already been linked to Inter, Fiorentina, and Roma in Serie A. The Sun is reporting that Carlo Ancelotti are willing to offer 11 million euros to bring him to Everton to be an alternative to Dominic Calvert-Lewin. I'll leave it to you to decide on the credibility of that report. Milik has also been linked to Tottenham in the Premier League. Tutto Sport are reporting that Napoli have still set the price at 20 million euros, which is a typical De Laurentiis move, which is to set the price too high and negotiate down from there. There are also reports that Napoli are negotiating a permanent transfer of Tiamui Bakayoko from Chelsea. Bakayoko joined Napoli on a dry loan, so no option to buy, and Chelsea are paying 1.5 million of his 3.5 million euro annual salary. The reports are that Napoli and Chelsea have a gentleman's agreement for Napoli to purchase the midfielder for 15 to 20 million euros. If that's true, this move is a no-brainer for me. Bakayoko has been the perfect fit in the double pivot with Fabian in the 4-2-3-1. A player we haven't heard much of in a while is Jeremy Boga. Apparently Real Madrid are interested in the winger, which if that's true, we can probably consider that ship to have sailed. That said, with how well Lozano and Politano have started this season, left back appears to be a more pressing need than winger at the moment. And finally, apparently Athletic Club are interested in Fernando Llorente again. Moving on to Serie A, on Monday, Lega Serie A president Paolo Dalpino spoke to La Politica Nel Pallone about financial aid measures for football. He said the league must continue to work, but in the face of 600 million euros in losses this year because of restrictions, they've asked for measures to be taken by the government. However, he said the government has not responded. Dalpino said he expects more sensitivity, attention, and care because 32 million Italians follow the sport. When he was asked about the risk of stopping the championship, Dalpino said he doesn't see any reason for the championship to be stopped. That almost comes off as if he's not aware of the spread of the virus, but presumably he and the league are satisfied with how the protocols are being implemented, and with the expected losses, you can see why the league wants to continue plowing forward. I'm very curious to see how this plays out over the balance of the calendar year. We're about to start a period where the clubs competing in Europe will play matches every three or four days. So like we saw after the restart last season, we'll probably see a spike in muscle injuries. However, there have been more positive coronavirus tests this season than there were after the restart. So I can see teams struggling to field 11 players and more drama to come. I don't think that will change anything though, since Napoli were given a 3-0 loss at the table to Juventus. Norway were handed a 3-0 loss by UEFA for failing to show up to their Nations League match against Northern Ireland, and this week Reggiana were handed a 3-0 loss for failing to show up for their Serie B match against Salernitana. Finally, Delpino commented on the broadcasting rights and closing the deal on the injection of investment funds into Serie A's media company. He said the fruit is ripe, several months of intense work have passed, 
He said the committee in charge has done an incredible job over the last 30 days, and he thinks Wednesday will be an important time for the future of football. As is always the case in Serie A, the announcement came a day late. On Thursday, the league announced that they had accepted the proposal from the consortium of CVC, Advent, and FSI to acquire 10% of Serie A's media company for 1.7 billion euros. The parties will spend the next few months negotiating the finer details of the agreement, and then the transaction will close. We'll close part one with a recap of Napoli Femenile's nil-nil draw to San Marino Academy on Sunday. This was a match between two newly promoted clubs and it was Napoli's first point this season after losing our first seven. We did draw Inter on match day four, but that result was changed to a 3-0 loss at the table as well. Pepe Marino lined up in a 4-3-1-2 for this match with Catalina Perez in goal. Federico De Crescio returned after a spell of COVID to play alongside Alexandra Hoon at center back. Elisabetta Oliviero played at left back and Livia Caparelli played at right back. Isota Noki played at center mid with Vivian Biel to her left and Sofia Kjensen to her right. Jenny Hillman played as the trequartista behind Leonora Goldini on the left and Evi Popadinova on the right. Unfortunately, this was another match where the highlights, let alone the entire match, were simply not available, probably because there's not a whole lot of demand for a match between two clubs at the bottom of the table, so all I have to work with is the match report on the club's official website. According to that report, in the 28th minute, Napoli had a legitimate claim for a penalty after Hillman's cross came off the hand of Alessia Venturini, but the penalty wasn't given. Then just before the break, San Marino were awarded a penalty, Jessica Menin was fouled in the box, and it seems while Napoli were not given a penalty when they should have been, San Marino were awarded one when they should not have been. That's becoming a bit of a common theme for us this season, so let's hope the tides turn on that soon. Fortunately, Greta Di Luzio was not able to convert the penalty, so the score remained nil-nil. At the start of the second half, Napoli had an excellent opportunity to go ahead, but Venturini made a miraculous goal line clearance on Goldini's shot. Then about midway through the second half, Janssen's shot from outside the box hit the bar and stayed out. For some reason, Napoli took their foot off the gas after that, and neither side created much for the rest of the match. Even though this was our first point, it seems we missed an opportunity given the chances we had in the second half. In any event, it is good to get a point. Hopefully that will be the start of some better fortune. Unfortunately, we don't play again until December 5th as the women are on a European break. And when we return, we play against Juventus who haven't lost a match in 600 days. So that will do for part 1. In part 2, we'll provide an update on our players on international duty. let's talk about the international break. I mentioned last episode that we had 15 players plus Arkadouj Milik participating in international duties. Let's start with the Nations League this time. Before I talk about how Napoli's players performed, I thought it'd be useful to explain how this tournament is structured. If I had to look it up, then I'm sure some of our listeners are probably in the same boat. 
So here's how it works. The 55 UEFA associations are split up into four leagues, A, B, C, and D. The main tournament is League A, which consists of 16 teams divided into four groups. Those 16 teams are determined based on Nations League rankings, which is a function of past performance and includes promotions and relegations, which I'll get to in a second. The winner of each group in League A advances to the semifinals. For some reason, the semifinals and the finals are not until October of 2021, which I'm guessing has something to do with scheduling. The sole purpose of Leagues B, C, and D is promotion and relegation. The four group winners in League B are promoted to League A, while the bottom team in each of the four League A groups are relegated to League B. Similarly, the four group winners in League C are promoted to League B, while the bottom team in each of the four League B groups are relegated to League C. Since League D has only two groups, only two teams are promoted to Group C. That means only two of the four bottom teams in League C can be relegated, and those two teams are determined by a playoff. So with that, let's get to our players that competed in the Nations League over the last few days, starting with League A. Italy played Poland on Sunday. Napoli had five players in the two squads combined, but only Lorenzo Insigne started. Insigne was named the man of the match, though. He had a goal ruled out in the first half because Bellotti obstructed Wojtek Szczesny on the play. He had a few more shots nearly find the back of the goal, but Poland did an excellent job of blocking shots all match. He also played some beautiful passes to Domenico Berardi in the second half, the second of which led to a goal. Three Napoli players came off the bench. Piotr Zielinski came on at the half and Arkadiusz Milik came on in the 74th minute, but with Italy dominating play, neither were able to make an impact. Giovanni Di Lorenzo got a few minutes off the bench for Italy, replacing Alessandro Florenzi at right back. With the win, Italy remained one point clear of the Netherlands with one match to play. Italy controlled its own destiny with the final match to be played on Wednesday against the worst team in the group. Italy won that match 2-0, and once again Lorenzo Insigne was one of the better players on the field. He played a gorgeous cross from the left wing with the outside of his right boot to pick up Andrea Bellotti in the box. You could also see from his work rate that he plays for Gattuso, which I definitely think has improved Insigne's play with the Azzurri. Insigne commented on this after the match speaking to Rai. He said Gattuso has given him so much physically and tactically. He also praised Mancini and Evani for the confidence that they have in him. Giovanni Di Lorenzo played the entire second half, replacing Florenzi again. It seems like those two are up in the air as to who should be the starting right back. That win meant that Poland's match against the Netherlands was irrelevant. The Netherlands came from behind to win 2-1. Interestingly, Piotr Zielinski, who played 71 minutes in the match, lined up in the 10 spot, so between Piotr Zielinski and Elif Elmas, we may actually have two backups to Mertens in the 10 spot. So of the four teams in Group 1, Italy advanced to the semi-finals with what appears to be a very impressive squad. Belgium are in Group 2. Dries Mertens started in Belgium's 2-0 win against England on Sunday, playing in his hometown of Leuven. Belgium played in a 3-4-2-1 with Mertens playing as one of the two forwards behind Romelu Lukaku. Mertens scored a beautiful free-kick goal, which is the first time he scored a goal in Leuven since he was 10 or 11 years old. After the match, Mertens was asked if he plans to retire in Belgium, and he responded that he intends to retire at Napoli. He still has two years left in his contract, plus an option for a third. On Wednesday, Belgium played against Denmark to decide which team advances to the Final Four. Belgium played in a 3-4-3 for this match with Mertens on the right wing. Mertens played the full 90 minutes to help Belgium to a 4-2 win, which means they will represent Group 2 in the semi-finals. 
Portugal is in Group 3. Portugal were mathematically unable to win the group after losing to France on Saturday, so their match on Tuesday was just a formality. That's also why Mario Rui played in this match, because he is a reserve player for this Portugal squad. He played 71 minutes to help Portugal come from behind to beat Croatia 3-2. Finally, Spain is in Group 4. They played a mouth-watering match against Germany on Tuesday to determine the winner of the group. Fabian Ruiz was not in Spain starting 11 for the win over Germany, but replaced Sergio Canales in the 12th minute after he picked up a knock. Fabian played a huge role in this remarkable 6-0 win. Two of the three goals Spain scored in the first half were from corner kicks taken by Fabian. He was also involved in the build-up to the other goal in the half. Then in the second half, he was involved in the build-up to the fourth goal, and he assisted on the fifth goal. So with the win, Spain advanced to the final four. Three of the four semifinalists got there with the help of Napoli players, and the fourth team is France. Moving on to League B, Stanislav Lobotka played in Group 2. On Sunday, Lobotka came off the bench in the final half hour of Slovakia's 1-0 win over Scotland. Slovakia were still bottom of the group, but with the win, they had a chance to avoid relegation. However, they had a tough match against the Czech Republic, who were competing to win the group. That match was played on Wednesday. Lobotka started in the match as the holding midfielder in the 4-1-4-1 formation. He played 62 minutes in the 2-0 loss, which means Slovakia are heading down to League C. In League C, North Macedonia are in Group 2. Elif Elmas lined up in the 10th spot again for North Macedonia's 2-1 win over Estonia on Sunday. For some reason, Elmas returned to team training in Napoli on Tuesday, so he wasn't in the squad on Wednesday, which was surprising because the winner of that North Macedonia match against Armenia would be promoted to League B, and Armenia end up winning that match 1-0, so they are heading to League B while North Macedonia remain in League C. Kosovo play in Group 3. Amir Rachmani played the full 90 minutes in a 2-1 loss to Slovenia on Sunday. However, despite having only 2 points through 5 matches, Kosovo were still ahead of Moldova, who had only 1 point. Those two sides played each other on Wednesday to determine which of the two countries would be relegated. That match was played in a neutral location as Moldova don't recognize Kosovo as a country. Rachmani started the match, but in the third minute, he fell really hard on his right shoulder. He tried to tough it out, but had to be removed in the 20th minute. However, Kosovo went on to win that match 1-0, so they will remain in League C. Finally, Albania play in Group 4. LC Kusai lined up as a right wing back in Albania's 3-1 win over Kazakhstan on Sunday. The winner of Albania and Belarus on Wednesday was promoted to League B. Unfortunately for Albania, Kusai was not in the squad. On Tuesday, Napoli confirmed that Kusai had tested positive for COVID and that he will remain in quarantine for two weeks in Albania. That did not stop Albania, though, from beating Belarus 3-2 to earn a promotion to League B. So that was the Nations League. Next, let's talk about the African Cup of Nations. Kaladu Koulibaly played the full 90 minutes in Senegal's 1-0 win over Guinea-Bissau on Sunday. With the win, Senegal clinched their place in the knockout stage with two matches still to play. Koulibaly returned to Napoli after that match and has participated fully in training since Tuesday. Victor Osman was not in Nigeria's squad for the match against Sierra Leone on Tuesday, of course, because of his shoulder injury. That match finished in a 0-0 draw, so Nigeria are sitting comfortably in first place in Group L with two matches to play, and we'll provide an update on Osman in Part 3. Finally, in the Americas, David Ospina was on Colombia's bench for their loss to Ecuador in World Cup qualifying on Tuesday. There were reports that Ospina picked up a knock in training, but we don't know the extent of the injury if he's injured at all. 
Ospina is rather fragile, so we'll have to wait and see on that. Finally, Chucky Lozano scored a goal in Mexico's 2-0 friendly win over Japan on Tuesday. I saw a clip of the goal on Twitter, but it was so foggy in Austria that I couldn't really see what happened. From what I could tell, it was a classic Lozano goal where he got behind the defenders with his pace and then finished past the keeper. So that's the latest on our numerous players abroad. Unfortunately, they didn't all come back in one piece. We'll talk more about that in part three. Close the pod with a preview of Napoli's match on Sunday against Milan. As I'm sure you're aware, Milan are currently top of the table with a record of 5 wins and 2 draws. Milan had their 24-game unbeaten streak broken by Lille in the Europa League just before the international break. They followed up that performance with one of those two draws, which could well have been a second consecutive loss had it not been for the last-minute heroics of Zlatan Ibrahimovic. The other draw was a high-scoring affair against Roma. That was the match with the controversial penalty calls on both sides. Now, a lot of people aren't convinced yet about the quality of this Milan team because they have had one of the easier schedules to start this season. Their other five opponents in order were Bologna, Crotone, Spezia, Inter, and Udinese, including Inter who had a number of players missing for that match. The combined records of those five teams are 8 wins, 8 draws, and 19 losses. I'd venture to guess that that is probably the weakest opponent record of any team in Serie A. That doesn't mean that Milan are not a good team. They don't control the schedule, and so far they've done what they've had to do to get results. It just means we don't know how good they really are because they really haven't been tested all that much. One thing we can't deny is the importance of Zlatan to Milan. He currently leads all of Serie A with 8 goals, which is 2 more than Ronaldo and Belotti, and Zlatan has missed 2 penalty kicks. But he does so much more than just score goals. This is a very young Milan team that has really benefited from having the experience of Zlatan there. You can see how much players like Chalanoglu, Rebic, Salamakers, and especially Leao have improved just by being around Ibra. Even though he's still a character off the pitch, he's become very mature on the pitch. And you often hear him described as another coach, which will be huge in this match because Stefano Pioli and his assistant Giacomo Morelli have both contracted coronavirus, so Daniele Bonera will be the coach. So with that, let's get to the starting lineups, which is fairly predictable for both of these teams. Bonera's men will line up in a 4-2-3-1, though we all know who is really in charge. Gigio Donnarumma will start against his hometown club. At center back, I think we'll see Alessio Romagnoli get the start over Matteo Gabbia at center left and Simon Kier at center right. Teo Hernandez will play at left back and Davide Calabria will play at right back. We should see Frank Kessi and Ismail Benacer in the double pivot. The one question mark for me is who will start at left wing. Typically, Rafael Leao starts there, but he picked up a muscle injury in Portugal's U21 match against the Netherlands on Wednesday. In each of Milan's last five Serie A matches, a different player replaced Leao off the bench. Against Verona, it was Brahim Diaz. Against Udinese, it was Anti Rebic. Against Roma, it was Samu Castillejo. Against Inter, it was Rade Krunic. And against Spezia, it was Daniel Maldini. 
By process of elimination, I think Brahim will start on the left. Maldini and Krunic are just substitutes. Castillejo is a right winger, so I think he'll be safe to replace Salamakers if needed. Rebic could well start, especially because he showed great chemistry with Ibrahimovic before the injury, but I think he's still finding his form since returning from the injury, and Brahim has played so well when given the opportunity that he's certainly deserving of a start. Alexis Salamaker has earned the starting position on the right wing, and Hakan Chalonoglu will play in the 10th spot behind Ibrahimovic. For Napoli, with Osimhen just about ruled out, there's been a lot of debate about whether we should play in a 4-3-3 or stick to a 4-2-3-1. I'm expecting Gattuso to stick with the 4-2-3-1, and I'll tell you why. First, we've only used the 4-3-3 twice this season, in the opening match of the season against Parma, and then in the Europa League against Real Sociedad. Both times we defended really well, which could justify playing the 4-3-3 against Milan, but we also failed to score in this system both times. Against Parma, we didn't score until bringing in Osman and switching to the 4-2-3-1, and against Real Sociedad, we played very defensively with a midfield of Bakayoko, Deme, and Lobotka, but in that case, the personnel was dictated by the intensity of the schedule. The other reason I think we'll see the 4-2-3-1 is because I think it gives us the better opportunity to score. If we went with a 4-3-3, we'd probably have Mertens as the striker against a big Milan back line. Yes, we'd probably have Zielinski in the midfield, who provides a bit more movement and spacing, but that would come at the expense of another striker in Andrea Petania. So with that, let's go through my starting 11. If both keepers were healthy, I'd definitely have David Ospina starting in goal, as he seems to be Gattuso's preferred option in the bigger matches. However, Ospina did pick up a minor knock on international duty. On Friday, Ospina did part of group training and part personalized training, so that leads me to believe that Meret will start this one. I don't have any doubts about who our back four will be. Kaladu Kalibali and Kostas Manolas are the starting centre-back duo. Amir Rachmani will not be in the squad as he picked up a shoulder injury in Nations League play against Moldova. And then on Friday, the club announced that he tested positive for covid the one player who has rotated into and out of the squad all season is Elsie Kusai, but he too is positive, so that can only mean that Mario Rui will start at left back and Giovanni Di Lorenzo will start at right back. Mario Rui is a bit fortunate in a way because if Kusai was healthy, he would definitely be starting at left back with Rui and Fauzi Gulam in Gattuso's bad books at the moment. I imagine Kevin Malqui will fill one of those vacant squad positions. I expect to see Tiamui Bakayoko and Fabian Ruiz to start in the double pivot. There were some questions about Bakayoko after he missed a training session with the flu, but he appears to have recovered from that. I think there's a small chance we see Zielinski with Fabian in the double pivot. We did see that combination in the Genoa match, which was the second match of the season, but that was before we signed Bakayoko, and since then he's been a fixture in that holding midfielder role. If we do play in the 4-3-3, then I would definitely expect Zielinski to be the third midfielder, but like I said, I'm not expecting that. Lorenzo Insigne will definitely start on the left wing, and I think we'll see Matteo Politano on the right wing. Now, that's something I tweeted about. If Politano starts on the right wing, it will not be because of the comments Lozano made that we talked about in part one. Rather, it will be because Politano has earned the right to play with what he's doing on the field, not just in matches, but also in training. Dries Mertens should start in the number 10 spot, and I think we'll see the tank, Andrea Petania, start at striker. Paolo Valeri will be the match official for this one. Alessandro Gialatini and Valerio Colarossi are his linesmen. Daniele Doveri is the fourth official. And Massimiliano Irati is on the VAR, assisted by Giacomo Paganessi. For my prediction, I'm going to go with a 1-1 draw, and I'll give the goals to Zlatan for Milan and Mertens for Napoli. 
I don't have any numbers to support this, but at least anecdotally, it seems to me that more often than not, big matches like this end up being low scoring. I think the fact that so many players have been on international duty is going to affect how these guys play, especially for those who featured for their respective countries. But even for the guys who didn't play much, they all just spent the last two weeks playing and training in different systems than what they're typically accustomed to, and they have less than a week to train with their club, and some players have had only a couple of days. We talked about all of Napoli's players in part 2. In some ways, or at least for some of Napoli's players, they may have benefited from the international break. As we talked about in part 2, Insigne was probably Italy's best player in the Nations League. Dries Merton scored a beautiful goal which hopefully will boost his confidence. And Fabian Ruiz was excellent against Germany. I'd love to see him take our corner kicks by the way. He put in some beautiful crosses in that match. And even though he's big, he's not much of an aerial threat anyways. So he might as well take the corners. I'll quickly run through the Milan players that were on international duty. In the Nations League, Donnarumma, Romagnoli, Calabria, and Tonali were with Italy. Simon Kajer played for Denmark, and Hakan played for Turkey. In Euro U21 qualifying, Lorenzo Colombo was with Italy, Brahim was with Spain, and Diogo Dallo and Rafael Leao were with Portugal. And in the African Cup of Nations, Frank Kessi was with the Ivory Coast. I think there will be some very intriguing matchups here. First, you have Zlatan versus Koulibaly, which is kind of like the unstoppable force versus the immovable object. I'd give the advantage to Koulibaly there. When we've seen Koulibaly struggle a little bit, it is against players with pace, which is not what Zlatan is. The other thing we need to be careful for is that Koulibaly doesn't get pulled out of position. That's exactly how Milan scored against us in our last meeting. One thing Milan do really well is move off of the ball, so we really need to defend as a team and communicate very well. For that reason, Mario Rui is my biggest concern having to defend Salamakers on Milan's right wing. I would much rather have Kusai there, at least from a defensive standpoint. Mario Rui has been prone to lapses in judgment, which means Koulibaly will have to cover for him, which is the concern I just mentioned about Koulibaly getting pulled out of position. On the flip side, I think Mario Rui is a better attacking threat than Kusai is, and I do like the matchup of Insigne against Calabria. I think with Insigne cutting into the middle of the pitch, that will create plenty of space for Rui to overlap and play crosses into Petania. Either Kair or Kessi will have to help with Insigne cutting in, so that should create some extra space for Mertens, which is why I have him scoring a goal. On the other side of the pitch, I think Politano has a tough matchup against Teo Hernandez, we saw Ashraf Hakimi get the better part of Teo in the Milan derby, but Politano has neither the size nor the pace that Hakimi does, and I'm particularly concerned about defending Teo, who we know likes to get forward. We've been burned when Di Lorenzo makes a run on the right wing and gets caught. I like Politano, but he's not the greatest defender, and he doesn't have the pace that Callejon did on the right wing to track back. Finally, I think the midfield battle will be very interesting with Fabian and Bakayoko versus Benacer and Kessi. I think Bakayoko and Kessi have both been excellent in that holding role, so I'd say that battle is pretty even. I don't know much about Benacer, so it's hard for me to comment on him, but I can comment on Fabian. When he's on, as we saw against Germany, he can be unstoppable, but the biggest criticism of him is his inconsistency, and when he's off, you hardly notice him. That's where we're very fortunate to have the depth that we do. Zielinski, Elmas, and Lozano are almost guaranteed to feature at some point in this match, and depending on the situation, I can also see Gula making an appearance off the bench. I think that's where we have a bit of an advantage. Zielinski and Lozano are both starting quality players, and I think you could also make a case about Elmas as well. For Milan, I think Rebic is the only player I would say that probably starts for most clubs. Jens Petterhaug and Castillo are close to being starters, 
but for me, they're still substitute quality players. And Sandro Tonali has all the potential in the world, but he just hasn't realized it yet at Milan. I can very easily see this being a 1-0 or a 2-1 Napoli win, but I'm going to stick with the 1-1 draw. So that's my preview of Napoli-Milan. That will also do it for this episode. I hope you enjoyed it. If you did, please share it with your friends and give us a 5-star rating on your favorite podcast platform. As always, if you need to get a hold of us, you can find me on Twitter at Joe underscore Fischetti5, or you can find the podcast on Twitter and Instagram at Pod. We'll talk to you next week to review this match and to preview our next one. But until then, I'm Joe Fischetti, Napoli Sempre. Judy discovered Chumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa, take it easy, Judy. The Chumba life is for everybody. So go to Chumbacasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.